0: Nama Om Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prestaya Vintale, Shimathe, Bhaktivedanda Swami Niti Namade, Namaste Sarasathe De, Bodhavati Pacharani, Niri Shesha, Sunyavati Paschatse, Omangyanam Timurandasya, Benanjana, Shalakaya, Chaksudu, Nuritanjin, and Kazmaneshi, Gurude, Namaha, Vanshakalpur, Tripyas Chapripasindo, Viva Chapatitanam, Avani, Yoga Shiv. Good to be back here again in the springtime. It's always some degrees colder than it is in America. <laughs> so um, I'm going to talk a little bit from the Bhagavad Gita. This is uh, Krishna's very simple text that contains very profound knowledge. Um, I took a university Sanskrit course uh, once and uh, by the end of the first year you can pretty much read Bhagavad Gita because it's very, very simple Sanskrit Uh, because it's part of the Mahabharata. You know the Mahabharata is a very exciting story. It very easily turns into a long soap opera. I remember going when I was in India. Everybody watches it uh, prime time, which was nine o'clock Sunday morning or something like that. There every episode of the Mahabharata. So it's a big, uh, exciting story, you know, heartbreak and adventure and all those things. But in the middle of it, there's this Bhagavad Gita. Uh, uh, and so it's 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 like uh, taking some popular television series and, and then putting. Uh, Hegel's phenomenology of the spirit, you know, or something in the middle of it. Uh, but here, simple, you know. Uh, you can't pull that off in the material world, but Krishna pulls it off, uh, <laughs> makes it happen here with this Bhagavad Gita. So it's very simple, but extremely profound. Uh, 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 and uh, uh, so here, um, uh, there's something uh, that's he ad- 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 addresses. A topic of knowledge in the Bhagavad Gita uh, many times. Generally, uh, activities, human activities, are divided into three areas, uh, just as uh, we have three mental functions thinking, feeling, and willing. Uh, and uh, uh, in, in the higher realm, uh, there's uh, three o- objects that these are devoted to. Uh, for, uh, there's the good, the true, and the beautiful, from classical times. If right? uh, the, the ultimate truth is, uh, is, it, is the center of our a- activities, uh, then it's the good. Uh, it governs our actions in the world Moral action, so then it's known as the good. And so far as it's an object of knowledge, the true, and an object of feeling, the beautiful. What is it in Greek? Tone, kolom, tone, agathon, So, <laughs> so Anyway, this, is the, this comes down from uh, Greek times the good, the true, and the beautiful. And all it corresponds with thinking, uh, feeling, and willing. But nowadays, these are different compartments, you know, so we, we've separated them out, they don't have much to do with each other. And so, uh, knowledge uh, is taken as an independent object of pursuit. That, uh, uh, if you can become a very successful scientist uh, and be an utter scoundrel in every other department, you can be the most wicked person alive, but science, you can do it. it doesn't matter whether you're good or bad. You'll, you'll get the same result. Like, like so we've divorced knowledge from, from these other, other kinds of things. Uh, uh, and, uh, but here, uh, what you see in the Bhagavad Gita is uh, this knowledge that uh, is... Uh, Depends upon uh, your your morality and your feelings. They're all they're all mixed up together. Because because what we learn in the Bhagavad Gita is, for example, that knowledge (jnana) depends upon goodness (sattva). Uh, We'll go over this about the, the, the so-called three modes of nature, the gunas, and so the result of uh, sattva guna being in the mode of goodness or purity, the result is knowledge. Tell that to any university, that the students if they want to get A's in whatever subject they have to also be extremely pure in their activities and their thinking and so on. Uh, you won't have any, many people enrolling anymore
1: <laughs>
0: in my day when you get to college it was the time you could get away from your parents and finally do what you wanted to do approve <laughs> of. You know. it's probably still that way <laughs> so anyway so Krishna talks about this I'm going to go to, to chapter 9 uh, which Prabhupada uh, gives the title, The Most Confidential Knowledge. Uh, he says, uh, Here, Krishna is speaking, it says, Sri Bhagavan uh, shubha. Krishna says, uh, my dear Arjuna, because you are never envious of me, this day, uh, I shall impart to you this most confidential knowledge and realization, knowing which you shall be relieved of the miseries of material existence. That's what he says about this. Uh, and he uses this term jnanam vijnanam sahitam. Gyanam no, means knowledge, jyana. and then this Vigyana means, uh, well, the, the Sanskrit prefix V uh, is a sort of all purpose intensifier. So it sort of means like real knowledge, but Prabhupada translates that as realized knowledge. And actually, if you take the modern English word Sanskrit, uh, excuse me, modern English word science, Wissenschaft, you, you translate that into Sanskrit, you'll use Vigyanam. Because it's experienced knowledge, practical, applied knowledge. gyanam is like theoretical, uh, you learn it from a book, but uh, Vigyanam means you have actual experience of it. So, science is that way. You, you, you do experience, you do experiments, you find out from your experience these different things. But uh, in the, when Prabhupada first came to America, he was invited uh, to talk. Uh, he was visiting in Boston. This is in the early, late, you know, middle 60s, I guess. He got there in 65. So by 60, 66 or 67, he was invited to speak at uh, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. Uh, famous place for computer scientists and all these things. And, uh, uh, and, uh, he, and he was talking to some professors and graduate students, actually, it wasn't even undergraduates, and he asked, you have so many departments of knowledge here, why don't you have a department for the study of the soul? And <laughs> what, science of the soul, you know, that's religion, you know, that's not science. <laughs> That's really because, because science means you can prove it by your experiment. Right? Right. Who can do some experiment to show, you know, God or not God or whatever? You know? It's beyond that. So they, just, they couldn't understand why we should have a science for the soul. But it is a science in, in the fact that it gives the conditions under which direct perception of transcendence is possible for human beings. And you can you could do the experiment. You just have to do it to yourself. You know you have to make yourself the subject of your experiment. You can't just do funny things to animals in cages <laughs> uh, to find out something. So so this is what he says. He says uh, Uh, I shall impart to you this most... he calls it confidential knowledge. Confidential means not everybody will appreciate it. He uses the word Guhyam, (laughs) Guhyatama. Guhyam means secret. And the Prabhupada describes this word secret, not everybody will be able to appreciate it.
1: Uh,
0: uh, Of course, most people uh, like advanced technical knowledge. Not everybody can understand, you know. Only some guys can sit down and look at pages of computer code and understand it immediately, you know, most of us can't. But anyway, they come out with some product we can use, okay, it must be true.
1: Uh,
0: but uh, but it's in a sense, it's confidential. You have to be educated in order to appreciate it or, or, or to understand it. Although here, he says, it does have a practical result. Yajnatva mukṣayashe Ashubat. If by knowing this, you shall be moksha ishe, released, delivered, moksha means uh, the same word as moksha, freed from all uh, ashubat, inauspicious things, here Prabhupada translates it, the miseries of material existence. And that's what we look to our science for, right? To be free us from the miseries of material existence. That's what happened. Although you may notice there's something very interesting about our science. For for a while you get relief from the miseries and then they come back again worse. <laughs> right now we are just starting to get the results of of of, of you know all the so called progress that we get in the nineteenth century. You know? Now we're getting the result. And the result is misery. We have global warming. We have the end of the age of antibiotics. Yeah. That's just coming up on now. I, mean, people, I, I read about it in the 60's, people could see it was happening in the future, and now it's coming about. You now. Uh, so, th- this is an interesting thing, that you get a little temporary relief, but then it comes back again, because you don't know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> I mean, the thing about the material world is, we don't understand very much about it. We get a little knowledge and we mess around and we oops <laughs> We don't know what's happening, you know. Anyway. So this actually this kind of result is actually the kind of knowledge that doesn't come from sattva, but comes out of Guru. You know, knowledge in the mode of passion. Because later on in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna talks about these different modes of nature. The result of the sattva guna, the mode of goodness, is happiness. Sukha, you become happy. But the result of the mode of passion is misery. She says it right here. And scientifically, you can see exactly by observation in this world, what are the symptoms of sattva, guna, mode of goodness, mode of uh, passion, and mode of ignorance. And Prabhupada puts it very simply, there are three types of people. One is happy, happy one is active, and one is miserable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so, so, the, the, you, the symptoms are, are there, and you can understand these three modes is very, very visible. People have understanding this, uh, because the, the word guna, Prabhupada translates it as modes, uh, But it means three ways of acting. Uh, we see that in our world there's a, there's a cycle. Things are being created, they last for some time, and then they're being destroyed. Then the, the products of destruction are reassembled for another creation, <coughs> And then it's creation, then again, lasts for a while, then destruction, and so on, like that. This is the cycles and different. even the cycle of the seasons is like that. Right now it's springtime and nature's in the mode of passion. <laughs> and the winter, if in the fall, everything will decompose and then come back up again. This is the cycle. So when things are being created, then uh, nature is acting in the mode of Rajaguna, the mode of passion. When things are being maintained, sattva guna. And when things are being destroyed, it's tamaguna, mode of darkness or mode of ignorance. Now, this is, you, so you can see it. But the Bhagavad Gita ex- uses it as a, as a term for understanding many, uh, many things which, and if, if you just uh, there's a, there's a uh, 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 Shastra Chakshusha, seeing through the eyes of scripture, or Jnana Chakshusha, the eyes of knowledge. Once you start understanding how these, these categories are, then it lights up the world in a certain way. And, and then you can see a way to navigate uh, through things. So this, this knowledge, uh, is uh, this Jnana, uh, yeah. is based on the mode of goodness and then vijyana experience knowledge because people think like here we are we're at the Hare Krishna temple right? so everybody thinks okay here's your, you're involved in religion over at the university we have knowledge but you have faith you have belief you just blindly believe something because somebody said so you know They can't understand, and, and they, they hear, they, they stop you from doing things. These things are bad. Uh, they, th- they think, we, we, have, we have these traditionally inherited uh, moralities and religions, all based on this thou shalt not, uh, the Bible, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, you know. Uh, uh, why? Well, because in the old days, there were these nasty old men, these, these patriarchs who their face is always with, uh, distorted in disgust like Ayatollah Khomeini or somebody, you know, who doesn't want the younger generation to have any fun, and tells you don't do this, this is bad, the fatwa, the fatwa, the don't, fatwa. <laughs> you know, all that stuff, you know. Haram, haram, you know, it's bad, it's bad. Everybody done this, and now you can't have any fun anymore. And now we're liberated, we throw off the shackles of the past, and now we're free just to enjoy, you know, spontaneous delight, and so on. This is in the 1950s and 60s. This was called the Playboy philosophy. <laughs> the author of this famous magazine, that you could go up and look at naked women. Uh, you know, there was also a philosophy that this is a good thing. Now you're liberated, <laughs> but actually it's bondage. But that's another thing. <laughs> so. This not that 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 knowledge depends upon goodness. People don't understand this, and the thing is is. We, we are famous, you know, in the Krishna Consciousness movement or infamous because we have these four regular principles. No eating meat, fish or eggs, no intoxication, no illicit sex, no gambling and speculative enterprises, oh! <laughs> uh, the, that's the big, the big barrier. If you could just loosen those down you know, a little bit. What usually happens, generally you find uh, uh, traditional religions are very strict. Uh, you, you, you you see what, what Buddhism was like in the very beginning. And then you go see what goes on today in Cambodia, Burma, something like that, you know. It's not Thailand, it's not anything like what, what Buddha said, you know. It's so strict. You know. So gradually everybody loosens it up, and, uh, makes it more accommodating and more human, as they like to say. <laughs> Uh, so we have our, our regular principles uh, and if people think of them as bondage, although Prabhupada calls them the regulative principles of freedom, it sounds like to people like uh, contradiction in terms. Of, uh, but they are also the conditions for knowledge, because knowledge depends upon goodness. So people today, having given them, giving themselves over to this idea that we can pursue knowledge uh, and it doesn't matter how we behave or how we feel or, or our own personal state of mind at science, anybody could do the experiment, and get the same result. But the one thing is, the idea of the soul, the idea of God vision. No, doesn't make any sense at all. We look at the world, we don't see God anywhere. We don't see a soul. All we see is these biological machines. And that if you wanted to, you could completely explain the whole world, exhaustively, all that there is, simply in terms of numbers. That's all. And it exhausts the reality of things. That's what they think. And where are those numbers is anything like God or the soul? Or even, by the way, consciousness. This is the biggest problem for material science is this thing called Consciousness. It stands in the way. Because they want to tell a story. You know, in, in, in the beginning, they were very simple. Uh, the material universe was very simple. Uh, and you could entirely explain it in terms of numbers. There was a big bang, you know, and things came out. And there are simply particles undergoing changes in times and you can exhaustively explain them in terms of numbers and then for some reason they get more complicated. So, right, for some reason these, these simple structures of matter become more complicated structures of matter. Why this happens, nobody has the faintest idea, But, and it's anti-entropic, but anyway. <laughs> This, this is going on, they be, and it's okay, we get more complicated structures of matter, but you can explain them completely in terms of numbers. You know? And then these structures of matter, completely explainable in terms of, uh, of numbers, they get more and more complicated, but then at a certain point, something else pops into being, which is not just structures of matter, but the experience of structures of matter. That's a different kind of a thing. Because a structure of matter, it's just something that happens. But now there's there's consciousness, there's the experience of structures of matter. It's not another structure, it's something else again. And so really you have to kind of explain it away. And they've been trying to do this for some time and denying that it's actually there, in many cases, that it's some kind of illusion. But actually it doesn't work, it just doesn't happen by evolution. What Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita is is there are two things that come together to make the world. One is the material energy, which is unconscious and can be explained in terms of numbers. Uh, and then, there's another energy, which are the, ex- the jiva souls, which have consciousness. And these two flow together, and both of them come from Krishna. That's his explanation. So you have, you have yeah, these, these two things, there's matter and spirit, and then there's the origin of both. Because this consciousness, if you can purify consciousness, then knowledge and awareness increases. When our consciousness is covered, (coughs) then there's oblivion. Uh, So, here he's going to say this confidential knowledge and realization, experience, direct perception of, of, of yourself and of transcendence as a spiritual being. And to have this perception, hear the directions you follow that are given. You don't want to do it. Okay, that's up to you. But don't complain that it's not there or that the people that have this are somehow having some other kind of illusion. Uh, that's, that's, that's what happens. So here we have faith. There they have knowledge. But one thing you have to understand is that, that when you talk about faith all processes of knowledge begin with faith. You go to a university, you know, I remember my, my first day, you know, you sit in a classroom, some person up there is lecturing, you've never met them before, and, and he sits down, and he starts talking about, you know, uh, atoms and electrons and prote- protons and all these things, which are in fact Metaphysical entities. I mean, you can't see them. You can't, right? They're are theoretical entities. I mean, really, people. You know, they show you a picture of an atom, but it's not really a picture of an atom. It's a picture of like some 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 spark, some dots on a cathode ray tube. And only an elaborate theory, you know, makes you believe this is what an atom looks like. But you can't see them. They are invisible. They're theoretically, you can't see them. They're metaphysical entities. The Heisenbergs pointed out you can't see them. And they're not possible. But you believe it. You sit down you believe everything he says, you believe it. Why? Because you have faith. Well, this is an authorized university, the guy has a degree, you know, so I just go into faith. You may think the faith is justified. But, but if, you, if you raise an objection, you know, right from the very beginning, I have my doubts, you know, what about this? How do we really know? And he says, well, we have experiments. We have experiments to prove these things. And this is why we're a science, because this is democratic. You know, anybody can do it. Anybody can do it. Oh, can I do it? Yeah, sure, you can do it. Okay, let me do it. Well, 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 wait a minute. First, before you can do these you have to learn the science. At least seven years. Seven years you, before you learn the science. And we don't really let anybody near these machines until they're in their fourth year of graduate school. You know. So, oh, it's esoteric knowledge, really. You have to be initiated into the process, and, and all these things, and i got to wait seven years before I find out. All that's faith. That's faith. That's faith. So it's not different. All process of knowledge, you you begin in faith. They just, you know, uh, kind of covered that up a little bit. So this is also a process of knowledge. Just because it begins in faith. Somebody's sitting up here and I'm telling you about jivas and uh, and paramatma and all these things. What is that? And I say, well yeah, you know, you can see God directly face to face, but first you have to do a few things. Oh well I have to wait, huh? Because people say, Show me God, I want to show up right here on the spot. Do what I tell you, you know. If I say God you should appear to do it. But you want to show me an Adam? Yeah, we can show you an Adam, but just, you know. <laughs> eight years of graduate school, men always show you these dots on the screen, even that's it. <laughs> anyway. So there's a lot of mystification. Anyway, so Krishna uh, says this about this knowledge. It actually brings uh, direct perception, uh, began, uh, of, uh of the self uh, that relieves you of the knowledge of material, uh, of the, uh, relieves you of the miseries of material existence. Because the point is, we don't know who we are. We, we have, there's a fundamental mistake, we have made the mistake of identifying ourselves with the material body. And that's, a, that's, that's called ahamkara. Prabhupada always translates that false ego, because it's not our real self. We have made this mistake uh, about who we are. Not only, and our body has two layers. There's the, the, the gross body that we can see, and then there's the subtle body. Manas bibi the the mind. Uh, so the first thing we learn is, I'm not this body. And people say, I've heard it, well, you, you're trying to tell me I'm not me. <laughs> it's contradictory. <laughs> so right away it's counterintuitive, you know, because I look in the mirror and that's me. And the Bhagavad Gita is saying something, and maybe that doesn't sound so right, you know. But anyway, uh, you go to, you know, scientists to tell you, you know, actually, uh, the universe is mostly empty space. Well wait a minute, I see things all over the place. It's mostly empty space, you know. So don't be worried about it if it's... <laughs> you accept the empty space stuff, so you might as well... <laughs> so we're not the body. Yeah. And, and which is there's even better news, is we're not the mind. The mind is—we is, 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 have two bodies, actually. It's you know, very explained very clearly in Bhagavad Gita, and, and people have to point it out to you, and then you can see—you uh, see through the eyes of knowledge. But this? This? How, how? do I know what the difference between the self and the not self? Well, Prabhupada gave us a simple experiment. That the, the, the self is the seer, that is to say, consciousness is the symptom of the spirit soul. Uh, and and what, the seer is spirit, and what is seen is material. So, first of all, I, I, I can. Uh, there's the, my, we, we, we draw a boundary here. Here's the boundary, my skin. Now, this is the self, and this is the not self, right here in this boundary. Because I have my senses, my, my body is this kind of organized arrangement for perceiving the world and acting on the world. These are called the, the jnanindriya, the instruments of knowledge, and then the, the karmindriya, the instruments of action. And that's basically a body, is an organized arrangement of these uh, faculties for perceiving and acting on the world. So, my eyes are seeing, I'm conscious of what my eyes are seeing. So that's the, my, my hands can feel, uh, and I'm conscious of that, my ears are hearing, I'm conscious. So that, that's where you normally draw the boundary between the self and the not-self. On the other hand, my eyes are seeing, but I'm also conscious that my eyes are seeing. I'm, I, I'm also conscious that my hands are, 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 are feeling with a sense of touch. I'm also conscious that my ears are, uh, are, are hearing and so on. So actually, uh, I, my consciousness, I'm also conscious of all these instruments working. So that means we have to pull back a little bit. And then we will normally draw the boundary between the self and the not self that the mind is the self, uh, the, 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 those experiences where they're stored up in their subtle part of myself so on, yeah. So uh, many times in, 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 in uh, Western philosophy it uh, has this idea of the soul, and the soul idea of what the soul is, or the self, is the mind. Because, I mean, the mind is that part of material nature to which we are the closest, right? And we have the same, uh, as we get older, you know, our bodies change rather drastically, but we seem to have pretty much the same mind that, that goes with it. Uh, uh. So we'll draw the boundary there uh, that, yeah, the, the, the mind is the self, as that, that's more intimate, what goes on. And it's private. You know, what I'm thinking is, you know, uh, you don't have access to that usually unless I talk about it. You know, I'll let you know by some other. But, uh, you know, I've got this area of privacy that's my own mind, and which I know about and my impressions and everything. But then, when my mind is thinking, I'm conscious of my mind thinking. Uh, uh, I can do arithmetic in my mind and I'm aware of that's going on so when my mind is thinking I'm, I'm conscious of that so I'm also that consciousness, I have to say then I'm, if, if the seer, the consciousness and that which is seen are, 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 are different then I pull back again but I have to say, not my mind uh, so, that, in that sense, we can, we, we can discriminate and find out that here's this, what is this consciousness itself that is there. And, and, and of course, uh, uh, the different objects of consciousness in our mind, are, are various and changing and so on, but that consciousness is uh, the same thing. So, so this, is, this is how you can understand I, I'm, not, I'm not the gross body and I'm not the, the mind which is the subtle body. According to the Bhagavad Gita, when we, at the time of death, uh, Shakespeare uh, in Hamlet shuffle off the mortal coil, but we have two mortal coils. Uh, we have, first of all, this gross body. And at the time of death, uh, because of we are at the time of death we have different desires and longings and all the things I didn't get to do in this life and all my disappointments, I carry them with me. And because I have so many material desires, the subtle body goes with me. So it lasts stickier, you know. It clings. (laughs) The soul is uh, to that, and then I get, according to what that subtle body, I get another gross body that fits the subtle body, and that may be an animal body. In fact, most people, that's maybe what they want. Uh, I know people that they, they, their old age, that thought, thought that the animal had the best life was the family dog. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have to work. Somebody fed him, <laughs> took care of him, yeah. just lay around all day and run around and barked and had fun and that was the way to live. <laughs> uh, so that's the next one.. <laughs> Be careful for what you want, you may get it. (laughs) So, uh, actually the fact is that the dogs have trained us for all animal very, very successful. Nobody gets treated the way the dogs get treated. One of the the, the signs of royalty, you know, during the reign of Louis XVI, and so was in France, In the morning, when he would evacuate his bowels, because he was the king, it was a ceremony. And uh, somebody in the court, somebody with uh, some title of nobility, would have the honor of holding the royal chamber pot. And there was a ceremony when the king uh, evacuated his bowels, where the person would hold the chamber pot while the king squatted over it. And then remove the chamber pot and showed it to the royal physicians, who would then look at it. And you know, and so that was quite an honor to be able to you know have do this. Dog owners, at least in my country, there's now laws that you cannot just have your dog when you take him out for the walk every day. You have to do that. You know, when he has pastor, you want to take him outside so you can. Uh, now you just can't leave it there for other people to step in it. <laughs> you have to pick it up. And you have to put it in a little bag. So, no, the dog actually has, you know, the same as Louis VI. for <laughs> the master, the so-called bastard. <laughs> so, I think the dogs are going to have such a high status because many, many human beings will take that. <laughs> become the servant anyway then, be careful what you wish for uh, so this consciousness puts us in another body uh, and, and so that consciousness so, and, and what causes that is all our material desires at the time of death we have you know, so many things I, I wanted to do that I uh, remember that beautiful girl in ninth grade, you know, I <laughs> taking all your frustrations, everything you didn't do, all your ambitions, and everything else, you know, you take birth again. Uh, but not as much as you want, but as much as you deserve, that's the problem. <laughs> um, uh, some of the things you want are much more available than animal species than, 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 than human species. <laughs> Anyway, there is this knowledge. Uh, Krishna goes on and says he, about, about this knowledge. He, he says, This knowledge is Rajavidya. It is the key of all knowledge. So it's not so easy for everybody. Although, here, the Bhagavad Gita, because it's in this almost grade school Sanskrit, uh, you know, it's he made it accessible. Uh, Rajaguyam. And it's also. also it, it's the highest of secrets. It's like the monarch of secrets. Because not everybody will be able to appreciate it. That's it, admitted. But that's confidential knowledge. I may have my wallet, uh, I carry around, uh, and, and I've got pictures of my wife and my children. Uh, you know. That's confidential. In the sense that if I sit down and to strangers at bars or in the train and say, yeah, these are my wives, these are my children. Fact, so Nobody's a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> If I show them to other people in the family, oh yeah, that's nice, yeah, let me see the other, you know, but strangers, they, that's not everybody will appreciate it, you know. So it's this we can't expect everybody uh, to know it. And he calls it, it's pavitram midnam uttamam, it's the, pavitram means it's pure and it's Uttamam, it's highest. Uh, And then he says, pratyaksha avagamam dharmyam. It it is uh, dharma. Uh, the, The principles of dharma we translate as religion, but really it's just reality, if you really want to come down to it. But it's pratyaksha, direct perception. Prati, this word, Prati, Aksha. Aksha is the eyes, and Prati means right in front of the eyes. You may read about it in a book, but if you do the thing, you'll see for yourself. You'll see for yourself. And what he's saying here is that it's really worth doing it because it will free you from all the miseries of material existence. Everyone is promising freedom from the material existence. They want funding, right? Science is expensive. It costs a lot of money. They have to get it from government or investors. They want to. Re- they want something. F- you know, you want something. If you can't convince people, you may have found out some. You know, new thing from the hydro. You know, this thing they got this uh, big cyclotron, churn uh, thing. You know, going around uh, yeah, two, yeah. two, two, two different countries. You know. People want to know, what's it going to give us? How can we make money off of it? How will it improve our lives? Otherwise nobody's interested. But everybody's looking for some improvement. And they promise so many things. But let's see. I'm telling you we're getting the reaction. Yeah, we're going to be free from malaria, DDT, all over everything. We put this stuff out, you know. (laughs) Whoops, look what else it does, you know. (laughs) We better stop that. It kills off all kinds of things, not just mosquitoes. (laughs) We didn't know that. And now we, you know, we've got the cleanup coming. Uh, uh, And, uh, of course, I, I, I have to say they're making another promise. And the other promise is... All the problems of technology can be cured by more technology. (laughs) Do you have faith? (laughs) Do you have that faith? That's what the promise is. I've seen the propaganda, by the way. When people first started thinking, yeah, there may be limits to growth may be limits to growth. This started out, actually, was going on in the 70s, the first time there was an oil shock. People started thinking, maybe we can only go so far. And the, the energy companies were very upset by this idea, limits to growth. It'll stop everybody from making more and more money. And they, they, they used the example. when the mythical cavemen, when there were people in caves and they were living in caves only, and they made fires, and their caves filled with smoke, did they say, oh, we can't use fire? No, they invented chimneys. Now we have to put a chimney on the earth, apparently. (laughs) And of course, there are ideas, you know, these these geoengineering things. Idea: No, we can keep on putting carbon into the air, and we'll just find some way to stop global warming. We'll have big blinds in the in space, you know, blocking the sun. We'll do put giant balloons uh, floating uh, up at sixty-five thousand feet, you know, I don't know how many meters that is, but you know, up there you can. Somehow or other we'll geoengineer the climate, uh, and so on. But let's see whether you have that faith or not have that faith. But, uh, so, but here's a technology that, that actually will put us into harmony with the rest of the Earth uh, and, and deliver direct perception of the Self. And this is based on the mode of goodness. Not the mode of passion. The mode of passion, this, this modern industrial civilization is an overdevelopment of Rajaguna. And by that overdevelopment, because Krishna says very explains very clearly, it's in the fourteenth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. Mm-hmm. The result of the mode of passion is misery. It's n- because in the mode of passion, in the, in the mode of goodness. Uh, which is, by the way, material still, it's just, but it's also a precondition for spiritual knowledge. Sattva guna. Sattva guna by itself, you still, you'll feel, you, the result of, is happiness. Consciousness that is conditioned by the mode of, of guna, uh, the guna of of, of sattva guna, that consciousness is very alert and interested, but detached. Really, any, any real scientist has to have some of that, but they're, they're detached. Unfortunately, the people that are paying for them are in the mode of passion and want results that make money. And so scientists who are just really interested in, in knowledge for its own sake, like Albert Einstein, <laughs> you know, just trying to find out how the mind of God works, You know, that's the sort of mode of goodness kind of thing like that. But ends up doing what? Making atomic bombs, which you? <laughs> that's the result of what we're doing, you know? Is that, that will that, that's because, you know, who has, who's going to pay for it? Uh, so, the, you know, the real side they like to do just thought experiments, but anyway, this, this is the result. But anyway, the result is, because it's tied in with other kinds of things, but that's, but that's actually the, the, the mode of goodness, is that detached, disinterested, that is, you don't want anything from it, you're just interested in knowledge for its own sake. In English, there's a distinction between disinterested and uninterested. Uninterested, you're bored, you don't care, but disinterested means you have no investment in the outcome. A judge who hears a court case should be disinterested, not have any interest in the outcome, but interested in what's happening, uh, not not, not, uh, not paying attention. So this, this is mo- but the, the knowledge in the mold of passion is uh, narrowly fixed on the object of attraction. So it's, it's, it's paying attention but only to what will satisfy your senses. And everything else is kind of just, you're only interested in that it can satisfy this narrow uh, focus on the objects of desire. And then, in in the mode of ignorance, tamaguna, you're confused about everything. And you can't even satisfy your own desires because you're just bewildered. And what happens is the result of the mode of passion is ultimately misery. That will happen. You get narrowly fixed on the object of desire. You get what you want. And it turns out it doesn't make you happy. Because happiness depends upon goodness. And you've got everything now. You've worked so hard. You've done so many crimes to get what you wanted. Now you have it. And still you're not happy. Oh, well I have to do something else. You're restless, always going on, need more, need more, need more. And so ultimately, you get what you want, and still it's not what you wanted, as it turns out. So you have to get wife number two, wife number three, (laughs) wife number four, wife number five. This investment, that investment, this investment... This house, this big house, that's not doing. Not another big house, not another big, another big house. no oh, so many big houses. Still does not. I don't like any of them. You know, this is the mode of passion. Never satisfied. This is what it said. It burns like fire and is never satisfied. Our standard, Prabhupada explains in this chapter, the Bhagavad Gita, the 13, 14th chapter. Our standard of advancement is the standard of the mode of passion. Used to be formerly, it was that was. Goodness was the standard, but now it's the mode of passion. The result of the mode of passion is misery. And therefore, when people suffer, they don't know what to do. They don't can't go to the mode of goodness, they go to the mode of ignorance. And so, you take to intoxication. You want instant happiness? Try heroin. <laughs> oh, there... They blot out all the suffering with just intoxication and so on like that. That's what happens. So w- what one what, what has to do is revive our mission, one of our missions, revive the mode of goodness. Not for th- just the sake of the mode of goodness, but ultimately that's the springboard to transcendental knowledge. In the mode of goodness, you can begin to get an idea of transcendence. So the consciousness has to become purified, and then God begins to come into view. That's what will happen. You'll have some intuition, uh, like Schrödinger, you know, the the scientist. He became very interested in Bhagavad Gita because he did, did enough to, to, to uh, you know, understand something about this. Uh, the all the will become start start this will start to happen, and, le, and at least you get some inkling of there's something big out there, something transcendent of Brahman, you know, and then you can progress further. There's part of you progress further. There's Bhagavan. These are stages of it. So we know how to do it. It's applied knowledge. It's practice. We have these practices. And people say, well, what does, you know, no meat-eating, no intoxication, what does it have to do with knowledge? It has everything to do with knowledge, because you have to have the, the consciousness to be able to perceive these things. But it's experience. People have done it. They have been through this path. They have told, this is how you do it. And it should be at MIT. <laughs> But people right now, because you know they've, they've they've seen different religions that that have strayed away from what they are originally supposed to do, been compromised in different ways, and, and now it just looks like another another kind of ignorance. And sometimes it is. Sometimes it is because again, people want to cheat. In the Bhagavatam, this is called kaitava dharma. Becomes materially motivated, and then becomes another kind of disappointment. And so one has to be able to se- separate them, them out, uh, and, and find uh, find the real thing. But the uh, the knowledge is, is there. So this is this is why this Bhagavad Gita is very good, very simple, very easy to understand. Uh, uh, So here, I just let me finish up. Uh, uh, This knowledge of the 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 gunas, the mode of nature, Krishna says, uh, from the mode of goodness, real knowledge develops. From the mode of passion, greed develops. You become greedy, and then later on, they said the result, the ultimate mode. Uh, you uh, misery, uh, mode of goodness, uh, knowledge and happiness, and then from the mode of ignorance, foolishness, madness and illusion, all these things are on the 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 increase. Uh, uh, so, Prabhupada says here. Uh, uh, he says to he says. Uh, Because people have no education and actual knowledge, they become irresponsible. To stop this irresponsibility, education for developing the mode of goodness of the people in general must be there. When they are actually educated in the mode of goodness, they will become sober in full knowledge of things as they are. The people will be happy and prosperous. Even if the majority of the people aren't happiness, happy and prosperous, even a certain percentage of the population develops Krishna consciousness and becomes situated in the mode of goodness, then there is a possibility for peace and prosperity all over the world. We don't need to torture the material world like we're doing now to actually have enough for prosperity if we live in the proper way in the mode of goodness with material nature we will get more than what we need it's just like in our farms we get milk from the cows and we don't kill the cows you go to any other farm here there is not it's not possible economically to, to have a dairy farm without killing the cows but we have our experimental farms and we don't kill them like like in, we have this this farm, Gita Nodry. So the cow, you know, to 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 the cow to give milk, they have to have a calf. And then you can start to get a lot of calves. Some of them are male. What do you do with those? Well, you have to you to you have to plow with them. Uh, then uh, then oh then no tractors. Uh, when people say, well, what are we going to do? But the other thing is is that. In Gidanagari, we had one cow uh, that for uh, 13 years was milked by the same woman. And 13 years because her last calf she has was, she kept be giving milk for 13 years. That calf was well grown into a grown up <laughs> by that. You know. But she still gave milk for 13 years. Why? Because that woman was her calf. She had such affection for the woman that came and milked her every day that she still gave milk. And you didn't have to keep having cows. Anyway, the earth will provide. Because the the earth is also like a cow. This is described in the Bhagavad Gita like a cow. King Prithu milks the earth, it says. And if we treat the earth correctly, she will give. will give but people don't know this now Now, now what they're doing is pillaging the earth Uh, and the earth is actually in pain he says so if people develop Krishna consciousness at least some then there's possibility for peace and prosperity don't forget the prosperity we're not forgetting about that how you have your basic necessities all met and For everybody. Otherwise, if the world is devoted to the modes of passion and ignorance, notice the word devoted, there can be no peace or prosperity. In the mode of passion, people become greedy and their hankering for sense enjoyment has no limit. Here's a diagnosis like a physician putting his hand on the pulse. This is the diagnosis of our condition. People don't see this because they don't, know, don't have eyes of knowledge. One can see, even if one has enough money and adequate arrangements for sense gratification, there is neither happiness nor peace of mind. We've seen it. That is not possible because one is situated in the mode of passion. If one wants happiness at all, his money will not help him. He has to elevate himself to the mode of goodness by practicing Krishna consciousness. Anyway, it goes on. So this is when people become disappointed by the mode of passion. And then they become so frustrated, they go crazy. So everybody's being medicated all the time now with psychotropic drugs to... So he says, When one is engaged in the mode of passion, not only is he mentally unhappy, but his profession and occupation are very troublesome. He has to devise so many plans and schemes to acquire enough money to maintain his status quo. Just to stand in one place, you have to keep going and going and going. This is all miserable. In the mode of ignorance, people become mad. Being distressed by their circumstances, they take shelter of intoxication, and thus they think further into ignorance. Their future in life is very dark. That's the diagnosis. This is the diagnosis. And so if one wants to actually help people, one has to himself cultivate the mode of goodness, develop Krishna consciousness, and find some way to give it to others. So don't think, you know, this is like, this little department over here, this is the religion department where we do that, and you stay on that side, and over here we have the rest of the world where we're going to take care of everything else. Dharma doesn't mean that. Dharma means that, which is actually our real, natural thing, and it's a science. I'll stop that. So, oh, questions, comments, objections, doubts. Yeah. This one is a better way to having a, like devotion or
2: knowledge to being like a better actor?
0: Which is better? Yeah. Devotion,
2: the devotion, the blind faith on the god or having a knowledge to reading the Bhagavad Gita? No, anytime?
0: it's it's faith but it's not blind. Don't say it's just blind faith. Okay. Okay. If, if, if your faith is correct... Now, there's a science for the correct placement of faith. Now, this people don't understand. This is a whole other topic. But people think faith means you just blindly put yourself somewhere. But actually, the, 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 there, there is a faculty for the correct placement of faith. And that's called buddhi. Above the manas, the mind, there's buddhi. Uh, and that's a whole other topic because people do not very often uh, come to the platform of buddhi. But you'll find in this Bhagavad Gita that many times what Prabhupada translates as Krishna consciousness is called buddhi yoga, the science of buddhi intelligence. So you can actually, because when you become sufficiently, become, because buddhi, is the way that we get direction from Paramatma? Because Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, "The dami buddhi yogam I give them the buddhi, the intelligence. Prabhupada uses the word intelligence to translate this. I give them the intelligence by which they can come to me. This is buddhi. So this is the correct placement of faith. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a, a science. You should know that science. It's very useful uh, to actually put your faith in the correct place. Because, as I said, somewhere you have to place your faith somewhere. You know, when you're a child, the natural place you put faith is your parents. How do you, how, how do you learn anything? Because you have faith, you don't know anything, and somebody says, you know, when you see a red light, don't cross the street. You have to have faith you know, that green is good. You know, I mean, you just everything is, is is faith. So you get direction from some authority, and the the ultimate. And if if if, if society is in the correct order, your parents or whoever is the authority, should be a representative of Krishna. Not just your parents, but any authority, any teacher. Any teacher should be a rep- representative of, of Krishna. And any political leader should be a representative of Krishna. So you are correctly led all the way. This, if you have actual science, this will be the result because the real problem for people is now those people who are the natural representatives of God aren't. They're all disconnected from the, 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 the line of knowledge and the line of authority. But actually, actually, your parents should be representatives of God, your, your teachers should be representative of God, your political leaders should be representative of God, they actually represent God, not just pretend to.
2: Yeah. Uh, what will be the result of passion in Krishna consciousness? Is passion applied in Krishna consciousness?
0: Passion applied in Krishna consciousness? It's not actually a, uh, it, 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 it is uh, some enterprise, but Krishna also says, yes, you could do some enterprise, but not attached to the results. So there's activity in Krishna consciousness. But it's activity in which I am not going to be the enjoyer of the result of that activity. So it's not that we leave the world behind, but we do everything for the satisfaction of Krishna. And that's activity that's that's actually transit I mean because what has to happen is ultimately we want to use the mode of goodness not as an end in itself, but as a transition to being beyond the modes altogether. And so then all our activities that we do, we, whatever they may be, because, I mean, what, what, what Krishna is saying to Arjuna, you're engaged in a passionate activity, you're fighting a battle, you're a warrior. A warrior is, is government, ultimately. The go- and government is naturally passionate. So how can I be doing government if I'm not supposed to be in the mode of passion? Yes, you, you can do it. But you do it not for your own satisfaction, not for your own glory, not for your own achievement, not for your Nobel Prizes or your Peace Prizes or your name going in the history books. You just do it to satisfy Krishna. Then it's in the mode of goodness, actually, even though it looks like the mode of passion. That's how. Okay. In the back, yes, probably. You want to translate? If you have a good
3: definition definition for sin...
0: For sin? Yeah, yeah to, to do something sinful is to do something that is against the directions of God. That's what a sin is. Right? There are codes of conduct given by God, the moral codes... You know, in Sanskrit, you have this uh, ger- grammatical case, vidilin, the case of injunction. You ought to do this, you ought not to do that. comes down. Uh, per- so you have things that are prescribed that you ought to do. Uh, the, the, this idea of ought. <laughs> they have it in Greek, I guess it must be in German also, I don't know. but uh, the Injunctions. So these are the moral codes. Huh? Yeah, Zolta. yeah, that's right. So
2: eating non-veg is sin? Huh? Eating non-veg and egg is sin.
0: Not exactly, but it's not good for your spiritual life. <laughs> Depends on your level of advancement. Eating eggs that is a sin. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, for, for certain people it's it's not actually sinful because you're not you're not killing an animal. Um, need to, to, to do that, unless meat. the egg happens to be fertile. But if you want to inv- advance the Krishna <coughs> <of> consciousness, <coughs> then it's... Sinful Yeah, because you're on another platform, you know. Uh, uh, you're on another platform. So we don't eat meat, fish or eggs. So, uh, ultimately, uh, on different levels, there are different, different things that... So, so if, if I take a vow, if I want to advance in Krishna consciousness, I accept a spiritual master. To do that, I make a promise: I will not eat meat, fish, or eggs. Then, because you've made that promise, then then eating eggs is you're held to a higher standard.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have a question regarding the soul. When the soul transcends from one body to the other, mm-hmm. the, So what are the qualities which a soul carries itself so that the next life propensity or where exactly it has to put faith are determined? For example, some people, there are 50 people here, 10 or 5 would be basically putting the faith after this class, uh, whatever you've told, Mm -hmm. rest will not be. So does the soul also carry some kind of intelligence or some propensity?
0: When, when 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 you change bodies... Uh, Krishna explains this very carefully in the Bhagavad Gita, I think, in the ninth chapter, that he says the the, the the soul goes from one body to the next and carries the mind with it, just like the air carries an aroma uh, through the so so that so that when we when we uh, take another bo- body in the material world, we take the mind with us. That's why you see if anybody has children. Right away, you know, within a few months, you can see there's a definite personality there. And even tastes. I I, I have I have a, a, a granddaughter. And by the time she was two years old, she di- only wanted to wear dresses. She didn't want to wear pants. You know? And, and it's a super feminine woman, you know? You know, it always, it's like just amazing to, to, to be that way, you know, like just very particular how she looks and always likes to perform and all, you know, you can see that there's somebody carrying this over from a previous life, you know, it's, it's just so definite that way. So that, that, that if you, you watch, the, your, if you have children or little, little children, you see right away they have personalities and they have propensities and, and it's not just an accident, they've carried it over from some previous uh, previous
4: life. So, so, another question...
0: And I saw somebody, you know, went, went to a farm and there was a lot of pigs, and they looked at the eyes of that pigs and they saw human beings, unhappy bankers. <laughs> Why am I in this pig body? <laughs> anyway, go ahead. So, if
4: there, those propensities are predetermined, then how does the free will or... How do we use our free
0: will then? You have free will, uh, but it's... It, it's you know, it's constrained. There the are limits put to it. Uh, once you're in an the animal body, it's very, very hard to use your free will. You're more programmed uh, by that. To a human being, there's more scope for some freedom. Uh, and... But, but in either case, uh, we are controlled by Krishna and and really what our freedom comes down to how do I want to be controlled by Krishna directly and favorably by saying yes Krishna I'm going to follow you in devotional service if I say no Krishna I'm not going to follow you I'm going to be uh, then we'll be controlled by the modes of material nature indirectly that way but there's a lot for humans the, the scope for freedom is somewhat bigger. But you may notice if you're, you know, once you reach the age of 40, it's very difficult to change certain things about yourself and you just have to deal with it. At this point it's in your mind, you know. It's uh, We get conditioned and uh, our our freedom tends to get uh, limited by our conditioning. This conditioning can be uh,
5: shown, like for example, Let's say I want to go to Paris. I'm going to take the train to Paris. Right? That's your when you make a decision, <coughs> go to Rome or to go to Paris or somewhere. Like that. That's a decision. Then you buy a ticket and you sit in the train. Now when you're in the train, you are in the train to Paris, and you cannot say, oh, I want to go to Rome. You, you can't change, Change yeah, right. that anymore.
0: You can change your seat in yeah. the train, maybe. <laughs> <laughs>
5: And actually, Paris or Rome yeah. or wherever you want to go, but once you are in the train, then you cannot jump off and go to Rome. You know I mean? So, for some time, you are carried by the reaction of your decision, and there is very small space for free will then. Yeah, good example. <coughs> Thank you. Yes. Um, I would, if you can translate this for my Not for all. Warum reagieren die Menschen so sehr auf ein, ein Satz, den mein Guru Maharaj gesagt hat? So why do people react very strongly over a sentence that Guru Maharaj said? Er He also we used to distribute uh-huh. books. Und, um, er sagt, <laughs> das ist not and he says, this is only when he distributes <laughs> books, he only he shows the books and says, this is only for intelligent people. <laughs> das habe ich dann benutzt? Sorry. And she said, so she took an example for him and she went out on the street and did the same thing. This is only for intelligent people. Und die Reaktion war natürlich. nicht so gut. Die Menschen haben also dann sehr. Ne, die sind weiter, so einer weiter und hat sich wieder umgedreht nach 50 Metern und ist zurückgekommen und hat gesagt, das ist ja unverschämt. And so the people were so upset that even though they left, they turned around came back and complained about our way of
0: discreeting books. You didn't do it the right way. Obviously Guru Maharaj you to do it. He probably said, you are an in- I can see from your face you're an intelligent book person and this is a book for intelligent people. <laughs> <laughs> you have to know how to do it. <laughs> it's just somebody tells a joke. If you tell it the right way, it's funny and you tell it the wrong way people won't uh, appreciate it. <laughs>
6: Ja.
4: Ja. Es ja. gab einmal eine Zeit, da hat man behauptet, wenn es donnert oder wenn es blitzt, dass der Gott Thor seinen Hammer geworfen hat.
0: You got to turn and face me ja. so I can hear you. <lacht>
3: ja. Ja.
4: Ja. Zeit, that Und dann hat die Naturwissenschaft herausbekommen, dass es kein Gott war, der das Hammer geworfen hat, sondern dass es elektrostatische Aufladung war mhm. die sich entladen hat. Then, uh, natural science found out that it
3: wasn't god it was electric electrostatic energy
4: mm-hmm. built up in, in the uh, mm-hmm. und and hat man gemerkt, dass diese naturwissenschaftlichen Auflösungen von mythen dass die dem ansehen von gott geschadet haben found out
3: that the natural explanation of myth uh, cause damage to God's reputation.
0: The actual explanation of what? The
3: natural uh, explanation, or the scientific explanation of natural phenomena mm-hmm. cause damage to the yeah. respect the image of God. The
4: image of God, image of God yeah. Mm-hmm. So now it's great. Und uh, Krishna Modi hat deshalb gesagt, Gott ist jenseits menschlichen Denkens. Damit man mit diesem Auflösen von Mythologien, dem Ansehen von Gott nicht mehr schadet. Und sagt, dass
3: Gott jenseits menschlichen Denkens Beyond human thinking, so that uh, uh, human thinking God's
4: uh, image could not be damaged. Und um, wenn man jetzt diese Verknüpfung Sünde an, an einer Und man stellt fest, dass die Sünder einen anderen Kern hat als den, dass Gott gesagt hat, du sollst das oder du sollst jedes tun, würde man doch damit dann auch wieder dem Ansehen von Gott damit schaden, wenn sich das durch eine Wissenschaft auflösen würde. So you are saying that
3: sin uh, means uh, not following God's commandments and there will be a bad reaction. But if science found out if that is different, and that is different. Then also God's image could be damaged. You know mm. that you don't get that reaction if you sin. So mm. If science were true, and that would also damage the image of God.
0: Um, I guess people have thought they've gotten away with a lot, <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: but uh, what we see is sometimes only a, a part of a thing. Uh, 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 if you don't uh, you, you know one, one, one problem is is that with our limited senses we only see very little of what's going on and uh, sometimes we don't see the, the result because I may have done some sin And the, the reaction to my sin is just takes a while. It's like a plant. First, you know, it takes a long time. The plant grows and then gets mature and then bears fruit. So that fruit is coming, but you don't see it yet. And of course, sometimes you won't see the fruit until the next life. So it's it's described that that sinful reactions are in different stages. Some are seeds, bija. That's my tendency to do sinful activities. And some are kuta. I've done the sin, but it's still, the reaction is in the works. It's still coming. And then it's ready to bear fruit. And then it's manifest, parabdha. So it exists in different stages, like like that. So they may not see. So he says there
3: is a.
4: Uh,
3: Scientific explanation for sin, which is fundamental. He said. Is this one. Fundamental, fundamental, scientific explanation of sin. He said. there is such a scientific explanation.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, there is. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Thor will come back. Only his name is Indra. He asked,
3: "What does God have to do with
0: sin?" What does God have to do with sin? They just there, there there's laws. This the the concept of sin does not apply to animals. They can't sin, but it applies to human beings, Be, because the, the human human form of life is created. For the opportunity for spiritual advancement, and gradually, gradually by by following moral laws, maybe it will take us many ver- births, but at least, even if we're in the mode of passion, if we if we follow the the restrictions
1: uh,
0: for the mode of passion, and at least we we are greedy with limitations and we don't cause too much damage to other human beings, then at least we'll take birth again as a human. Or even we could go to the swarga. Uh There'll be some future material enjoyment. We'll, We'll be there. If we follow regulated sense gratification. And that's a large part of religion. And it gives you reward. Yeah... If, if, if you just obey God's orders, then then you'll go to heaven. Now, that's not very advanced as far as we're concerned. But that's a large part of religion. It's, we call it Karmakanda religion. You know, it's a whole list of do's and don'ts. I, I have a, 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 a god sister, a devotee. Who had the conversation with Śrīla Prabhupāda about her grandfather? She was Jewish, and, and her grandfather was a very strict rabbi who followed all the 600 and whatever commandments of Torah very strictly. Now he was Jewish; he ate meat, but he asked. She asked. Told. So she asked Prabhupada but if he followed strictly, what was his results? And Prabhupada said, he went to, if he followed strictly, he went to the heavenly planets. Because there's restricted sense gratification. Like even in the Vedas, it's not that you can't eat meat, but it has to be a sacrifice and so on like that, you know. It's not like, like the followers of Vedas are all vegetarians. But they wouldn't kill they wouldn't kill a cow, but they'd sacrifice a goat or whatever other things. But not cows. But anyway, there there these restricted sense gratification. This is this is what you have. You go to you go to Svarga. You enjoy for a while and then you come back down. Punish Upanishad, you come back down in the rain. <laughs> you, you you return. And that's discussed in the Bhagavad Gita about how you can go up and come down. Because that's not the kingdom of God. It's the higher Svarga, the mundane heavens. That's one platform of religion. And so the people, the the, the German people, the Greeks, the Romans, believed in many gods. That was usually their, their platform. If they had contact with India, like Plato, Pythagoras, they had some higher idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Shall we keep on? Yeah, of course.
2: So you were speaking about the soul transmigration. Mm-hmm. So is there any pre-defined time or some stages like? from transferring from one body to another body or is there any intermediate space where the court case is done or something?
0: Yeah, it depends. It depends on the individual, whether there's some delay or some time or uh, you, may, you, may, you, you may be delayed for some reason uh, or, or, or not. Um, but I, I don't know the, the details about this is beyond my pay grade you know <laughs> my level of competence, but the, there's a whole series of you know uh, the cosmic administration that deals with all this stuff. So sometimes you're delayed. sometimes you go down and, and suffer for, for some time and then you've finished up your suffering you come back to the human uh, position yeah, anyway yeah.
5: Uh-huh. Yeah, that brings to mind the story of Adamir. Yeah, example. exactly. Ademir, he was a devotee of Krishna, and then in the course of his life, he forgot about it, and, you know, yeah. you know yeah. the story, isn't it? He went with another woman, had children and all that. And at the time of death, he rem- he remembered God, right? But he was sinful his whole life. So at the time of death, the... Yamadutas, they came to get him for his sins. But then because of the time of death, he happened to, out of fear, call his son, who happened to have a name of God. Yeah. Hmm? So then the Vishnu Rutas came. So here they were, both. he is ours? They said, no, he's ours. He's. So this is the, you know, there will be a discussion on what's going to happen. Is he going to go there? Is he going to go there? Is he going go to go, go there? What's going to happen to him? And at the end, the Vishnu Duta said, no, he's coming with us because even though he was sinful, at the end of his death, he remembered God, even though indirectly, but it's so powerful that he went to the Vishnu Duta. So this is also something that can happen in between, where it's not clear exactly what we're going to do, where we're going to go, because of so many things that we did, and there will be a discussion there. Prabhupada
0: (laughs) said that sometimes when people, before they die, they're in some kind of coma. This means the higher authorities are still deciding (laughs) what's to be done. Maybe there's lawyers for each side, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Be good if you have a good lawyer. Like huh? <laughs> <laughs> Sumatra.
3: Michael Sumatra. What is the difference between Vishnu and Krishna?
0: What is the difference between Vishnu and Krishna? Oh yeah well uh, there one usually people's idea about God and the, the concept of Vishnu is the Lord of the universe uh, uh, the God who is the Lord of the universe. But actually to be the Lord of the universe, God can do it with just the tip of his little finger. Because he's all-powerful. So running the universe and taking care of it, if that's all he did, it wouldn't be very interesting for him. So the uh, the Lord as Vishnu is that kind of limited aspect of God insofar as he's taking care of the material world. This is the Paramatma idea of a Vishnu, super-soul. But, cre- but God has his own place, the spiritual energy... And there is a little different, there he doesn't have to manage the universe, and there he's all surrounded by devotees and liberated souls, so there's a party. And then, in the spiritual world also, he has different aspects. So, sometimes, the thing that's most uh, prominent in his makeup that people see, is his majesty. I mean, because God is awesome. He's just like, everything about Him is like super. And so, people are attracted to that aspect. His, as Vishnu or Narayana, His majesty is the major thing. And those that are attracted, the jivas, the souls that are attracted, they, that's, they're satisfied with this majesty. But when you come to Krishna particularly Krishna as he is in Vrindavan, then the majesty knob gets turned down and the beauty knob gets turned up. And in Krishna, his beauty overwhelms his majesty. And therefore the relationships are more intimate. Although that majesty is there, it's kind of overwhelmed by his his beauty and his attractiveness. So it's the same Lord, but just different aspects that are, are, are accessible in that way.
5: I have another image for this. For yeah. example, if you take um, someone who is the boss of a company, he is a very rich yeah. man, very powerful, and he is managing this big company who makes a lot of money, and everybody is looking up to him because he's so powerful. Like but when he comes home, he is just the husband of his wife and the father of his children. Yeah. He crawls on the floor, plays with the kids and all this. So his majesty, his demeanor he doesn't wear the tie anymore and all this. But at home, he is more lovable. And Who is he? is more lovable. Some businessman. closer mm-hmm. to yeah. We forget that he is a businessman. He is more lovable and we can get very close to him. We can call, uh, embrace him, kiss him and do so many things. Just like,
0: just like we have different social situations and we have different relationships according to that. Prabhupada gives the example of a, of a judge in the court. Like a high court judge. He's got his robes on or whatever. Uh, they all wear funny clothes, don't they? But they've they, they got their, their robes on and your honor, you know, and so on. There's a certain thing. Even though the lawyers in front of him may be his personal friends when they're in the court, they treat him very differently and then then he goes off takes off his robe puts on short pants and plays tennis with the same lawyers there's a very different relationship so they're all different relationships like that and so krishna also has the widest possible range of relationships so these different aspects are there that's what it means a person you know? not limited by 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 uh, these different uh, things that can do all these things at once we have different roles, one after another. Krishna can do it simultaneously.
2: Yeah? Like you said, uh, there are different religions in different parts of worlds. Uh, there are uh, Karmakanda mm-hmm. religions, you yeah. said. So, uh, can we consider Vedas to be a superset of all religions? And uh,
0: Yeah, I think so. He's asking that there are different religions. All over the world, I mentioned this uh, like one aspect of Judaism is a karma kanda. Actually, there's just one religion. There's one re- they they show up differently here according to the variety, but but the word dharma, which is usually translated as religion, really just means the essential nature of something. Dharma, is, you you know just what you are. And ultimately, all of us, our Dharma, is we are servants of God. And so, Dharma doesn't mean, people sometimes say Christian Dharma, Hindu Dharma. That's not, it's nonsense. Dharma is what you are. And, and that same religion will be expressed in different ways according to different cultural conditions and things like that. Uh, and, and what we see everywhere is that they have their karma-kanda division. Uh, of, of pious work. There, there's Jnana-khanda, uh, there's a, a, a transcendental, uh, tend to be impersonal knowledge, uh, mystics and things like that, and there's Bhakti also, uh, Upasana Kanda. Uh, all these divisions are there uh, in, in any different religion, but there, one will be a predominant over the other. But really, you know, the, the, the religion is just religion. It's, it's, what, it's what, what, what we are. Uh, and to me, what I, I found in, in, in this Krishna consciousness tradition is how you can understand all of them. Uh, because before I became a devotee, I was already doing a PhD work in religious studies. And when I discovered Krishna consciousness, oh, that's what I thought. This is the original religion that everybody's trying to get to. That was my my own conclusion at the time, uh, and uh, it made it made it clear to me. All, every other religion I had ever studied, it also made sense in terms of the framework provided by by Krishna consciousness.
2: So Vedas have ability to become a universal religion. Yeah, yeah.
0: There's a uni- Yeah, there is a universal religion. You just have to.
2: Yeah. You are following which religion? Huh? You are following which religion? Oh, you- I, I was
0: brought up as a, as a Christian. Okay. But uh, like everybody, I, 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 you know, went away from it. And, and a kind of, uh, some of the Christianity I, I was exposed to as a child. I spent some of my childhood in the American Midwest. Uh, And it was a kind of uh, very manipulative uh, Jesus religion, you know, where they they tried to get you to accept Jesus in your heart as your personal savior by by psychological manipulation. And, you know, when I was 10 years old, I knew this wasn't right to do this to us. We were only just kids. uh, I mean, I could tell you the whole story but we were running out of time, but... Uh, I, so I didn't, wasn't very happy with it, and I saw that you know so many people were said they were Christians, but you know in secret, you know they were you know, they didn't believe in uh, taking drugs, but they had a, in the basement they had a bottle of whiskey anyway, and uh, uh, and so on. So I you know so I didn't like that very much. But I and then I studied philosophy. My undergraduate work was uh, was in, in, in philosophy. Uh, And uh, everybody in the philosophy department didn't like religion. Uh, But I saw that the people, all the philosophers, were very unhappy. (laughs) And my senior year, I asked what I thought was the best person in my philosophy department. What, 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 why are you studying philosophy? What can you achieve? And he said, well, the best person, he told me, to be su- success in philosophy is being clear about what you're confused about, <laughs> and I thought that's the best you can do. <laughs> and He said, "Now that I'm older, I appreciate that answer more." But, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, so then I got interested in religion, and I was so I was studying all these different religions, and I had read the Bhagavad Gita about three times before I even encountered a devotee. Uh, and become interested in, in, in that. And then, when, when I, I, I saw devotees chanting, I said, Oh, well, this is interesting. The missionaries are coming this way. Let me go talk to them and see what's going on. And one uh, thing led to another, and I became a devotee. Uh, so that, that's, that's how that happened with me. And simply because I thought I, uh, every other religion I had learned was some aspect of Krishna consciousness that was that was there, but here I saw a, a Krishna consciousness set, presented as a kind of science of all religions. Yeah.
2: Just now you mentioned that you have studied different religions and you came to Krishna consciousness. What was that turning point? That some point, like a junction, where you made the decision, yes. Yeah. This is it. Well, I'll
0: tell you something. Uh, this is what happened to me: is I had had uh, diff- I had uh, in my graduate studies three or four different courses in Hinduism, mm-hmm. right? And uh, each time we let we let it we we, we uh, had in translation some some translation of Bhagavad Gita. So about my third Hinduism course. It was uh, was taught by uh, a woman, uh, Dasgupta, uh, whose husband was the author of this five-volume history of Indian philosophy, Sarindranath Dasgupta. She was his graduate student and she wrote the last couple of volumes. Uh, And so we had this Hinduism course, and again we had another translation to read of Bhagavad Gita. And this was a somewhat more clear translation. Uh, and because it wasn't required that you do at that level that you do um, Sanskrit uh, and uh, then I figured it out that that last time I did a thing on the Bhagavad Gita that what the Bhagavad Gita was actually teaching was to surrender to Krishna and I thought this was my original discovery because all the translators kind of Kind of put the impersonal, uh, uh, put it onto the Bhagavad Gita. They gave, gave a pers- impersonal reading of it, but here it was clear at least from this translation that it was, I thought that Bhagavad Gita was teaching surrender to Krishna. I thought it was my original discovery, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and by then, you know, I had such respect for the Bhagavad Gita that I thought to myself you know, if the Bhagavad Gita is teaching surrender to Krishna, that's what I should do. And I sat at my table with the Bhagavad Gita in front of me and I went like this. Surrender. 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 I looked up and nothing happened. (laughs) But that's what I did then. And about three months later, I'm walking across campus and I see these Guys jumping up and down and playing cymbals and chanting Hare Krishna. I knew they were Krishna devotees were around somewhere, you know. I didn't quite connect them with the Bhagavad Gita or anything. And I, I saw these devotees, you know, American guys in robes and things like that. And first, my interest was kind of technical. Wow, the missionaries are coming this way. This means that because I, when I was a kid in the church, they used to collect money to send missionaries to India. So I thought, wow, well, now they're coming this way. There's some like big change in the spiritual ecology of the world. You know that this is happening. Because the first thing I thought they were jumping a Hari Krishna. I thought, my God, I'd never do anything like that. <laughs> But then I thought, well, let me see, it's interesting, let me go talk to them, you know. Because if you're an academic, you know, you're interested. So I went up and talked to the guy, you know, and, and I got a, got a book called Who is Crazy? <laughs> 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 and uh, and, uh, and uh, gave a donation. And then uh, I looked at it, it was a little hard for me to understand, because by then, you know, I was into Shankaracharya and all that impersonal stuff, and I couldn't quite understand what Prabhupada was saying, but I read it. And then a few weeks later, you know, uh, somebody, a friend of mine, uh, called me up, a friend from, from my undergraduate school, and said, hey man, there's this far out love feast. (laughs) <laughs> you got to come, you know, because, because they had a temple in my city. They come down from New York and started the temple, so I went. I went uh, to the temple with him, in the mood of an anthropologist, you know, and uh, uh, I, I go to this. this, this it was, it was, I, uh, my undergraduate work was at the same city at the University of Pennsylvania and they, they had a little preaching center, this what we call a preaching center then at the university. And I went and I, my wife came and my, uh, we, we, we went uh, and, and uh, uh, sat down. Uh, we, no, we came and everybody was chanting. like they open the door and there's this incense rolling out and strange spices and chanting and I walked in and I chanted Hare Krishna with everybody, you know and then we sat down and there was a lecture Uh, uh, and uh, the guy gave the le- Now, I'm surrounded, we're all packed in there, a bunch of students and hippie types, you know, the whole congregation smelled like marijuana and patchouli oil, he's coming off of their clothes, uh, 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 and uh, the guy giving this lecture starts to talk about the four regular principles, <laughs> but f- first he, sees, he says... He, he 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 says that that um, that um, the that are uh, what in order to have direct experience of God, you have to become free from material desires, and that these things will stop us. And that I said no illicit sex, no intoxication, no meeting, and no gambling. And I thought, my God, is telling the truth. Because when I was studying these different religions, I was thinking, let me find out what, at least to what the highest level I thought they had in common. That was, no, my idea what the highest level was, but anyway, that's what I was looking for. And I thought that really, you know, that Buddha had said it, clearly, very distinctly, when he said, first of all, that life is suffering, meaning material life is suffering. And I was completely convinced of that. I mean, I just, really, I, I understood that. I believed it. Because people are dying all the time, and we're saying, oh, it's a nice day, but everywhere around people are suffering. And, uh, and I had a younger brother that a year before, we were very close, and he died in an automobile accident, and I could see that this is going all the time now, and that you just we're happy because we ignore it. You know? So, that, that, that material life is suffering, I could see that. He said, the next thing, you know, the Four Noble Truths, the cause of suffering is cravings, desires, attachments. Now, I could see that. You're attached, you're craving, things are always changing, you can't hold on to anything. I understood that. And then he said, then you have to extirpate, uproot these desires. So I had tried a little bit, but had no success. And this was the 60s, people were going nuts. With <laughs> material desires, I mean, drugs and all these things were coming up. So I very so when the devotee started talking about the four regular principles, I thought he's telling the truth. I mean, people around me, some were looking for the door, how to get out. You know. <laughs> right, so I got interested when he said that. And then he said that in order to become free from these material desires you have to give your senses spiritual engagement. And that was a new idea for me. Even though I had had so many Hinduism courses, they were all from the kind of impersonal point of view. And the idea of giving your senses spiritual engagement was a brand new idea. Because in those days when they taught Hinduism, it was the Ram Krishna mission view of, of Hinduism. You know. Uh, in fact, my first Hinduism teacher was Swami Nikolananda from the Ram Krishna Center in New York. He is a academically qualified, came down and taught Hinduism. So, so that was, you know, that was the, the, the standard model of what Hinduism was. So they weren't, at that time, they didn't understand really that there was anything different. Uh, Iskon helped change that a little bit. And also that they had government money to send to send professors to India to see what was really going on, and it was like very different from one. But uh, but in, anyway, so uh, yeah, so that was a new idea: spiritual engagement with the senses. Uh, and, and he talked about so this to control the senses, it begins with the tongue. And he said, uh, you have to chant, you have to, the speech. So you chant the Hare Krishna mantra and then you eat, uh, uh, eat vegetarian food that offered to Krishna. Now, my wife and I were always married at that time, same woman I'm married to now actually, but she came with me when I became a devotee, but, but, but you know, you, you have to eat vegetarian food. Uh, so, my, we were becoming a vegetarian, Just saints seemed to be cleaner and neater, no t- particular philosophy behind it, uh, 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 and, uh, and Chant Hare Krishna. So you got to engage the tongue. So I thought, well, let me just try it. I mean, for spiritual in- advancement in those days, we were taking some pretty powerful chemicals <laughs> and a set of wooden beads and, you know, three words sounded, you know, safe. So I got some beads and somebody taught me how to chant Hare Krishna. I thought I'd go home and chant Hare Krishna and see what happened. And when I just chanted, you know, very quickly my material desire started to go away. And that's what I wanted. But then I got scared. First I don't want them to go away quite that fast. And what I was doing was very powerful. And who were these people? And what was going on with them? Because they looked a little weird to me. I mean, they were there, strange people, you know, and and, uh, and uh, but then I, I got kind of scared and I stopped chanting. But then I felt awful, like they, all my desires came back like a big of cloud, <laughs> you know. So I started chanting again, you know, and uh, and uh, then then what happened? Actually, if you want the whole story, they had a new book that just came out, which was Prabhupada's translation of the Isha Upanishad. I had already studied it several times. Nobody could understand it. Even the translator said, these verses are very obscure. <laughs> because they're all again trying an impersonal idea of the Ishupanishad. You know? But Prabhupada gave this this Ishupanishad. Uh, and I thought, oh my God, he understands it. And, and to, to me, first of all, the language was really, really simple. Very simple language, not, not like the stuff we read in graduate school at all. You know. But I thought the, the theology, that was my major area of interest. I wasn't studying Hinduism necessarily. I was in, interested in, in philosophy, religion, and theology. But the theology was so sophisticated, I had never seen it anywhere else. You know, the idea of Bhagavan, Paramatma, and Bhagavan, you know, it was like... And I, I could see the impersonal as one realm, but not the, not the high... the highest. put the personal over the impersonal. And it convinced me, that book convinced me. Because first of all, I thought the devotees... You know, when you see people chanting and dancing in the street, you think they're low class. Even later on, when I read Chaitanya Charitamrita... Prakasananda Saraswati said, why are you chanting and dancing with low-class people? You should be studying Vedanta, you're a, you know, you're a Bharati, you're initiated by, you a <laughs> by, by, by you, he was a, he was a Maya, you know, why are you chanting and dancing with low-class people? Same way in America, when you see people, chant, you know, making uh, their street religion, you think of them as low-class people, you know. So I was surprised to find, you know, such a sophisticated uh, theology. And I was surprised that devotees who were not very well educated, some of them were giving me very intelligent answers. How did they know this stuff? You know. So that's, that's what happened, you know. So one thing led to another, and here I still am. And you got There's more to go, believe me. <laughs> the thing is about, you know, advancement in Krishna consciousness... It never ends. Love of God has no upper limit. You go even, you go back to Godhead. You're still advancing, and it goes on forever. You know. <laughs> I better stop.
5: Really, <laughs> <good day>. because, <laughs> like we have the choice to go on another 15 minutes if you wish to. We can. And if we wish, not wish to, we will have the Arctic and then take yeah, As you like,
0: we can, so I can talk we would, some more, but if you're really like hungry and you want to get for on <laughs> another 15 minutes,
5: please raise your hand. If you like, to continue. Okay. Okay, so it looks like, okay. You're going to take the are, other vote? <laughs> who to please raise your hand. This is your
0: chance. No, I won't be insulted. No well. <laughs> yeah. Okay,
5: so we go on another 15 minutes.
0: Okay.
2: The idea was like, you have such a great conviction and you have dedicated your life. So somewhere, we know the philosophy, we are practicing, but that dedication to give up that life and come say, Krishna, I'm yours. We say, but we hold on somewhere. Well, just
0: take the next step, you know? I mean, if if you really want to advance in Krishna consciousness, and you're serious about it, you say to Krishna, please, I have so many attachments and I know there are impediments, please help me get free from them. I mean, when you chant Hare Krishna, you just sit down and you do so many rounds a day. Say you do, do every day, at least four rounds a day. But when you chant Hare Krishna, you should be praying. I mean, because the mantra has a meaning. And, and, and Prabhupada said the mantra, the meaning of the mantra is, please engage me in your service. So the corollary... The logical equivalent is, please free me from whatever stops this engagement in your service. So, you can say, please free me. You can pray. And if you want to know what stops me, you probably know already. I have this attachment, I have that attachment. And maybe it's non-negotiable. Maybe I say, Krishna, I want Krishna Consciousness and I want Maya at the same time. That won't work. So you have to say, I really want Krishna Consciousness. And Krishna, please free me from this Maya. I think I need this, but I know I don't, but I'm really attached. Please free me. So you pray to Krishna when you chant, please, how do you Krishna Hare, you know, it means this. Please bring me closer to you and further away from that. And then Krishna will show you how to do it. And you just have to, you know, there may be many steps. You know, I feel here and here's you know pure Krishna consciousness. There may be a big distance. Your obligation is only to take the next step. You don't have to, you know, one giant stride. Just take the next step. And if Krishna will show you the next step, take take that step. Just take it. And then you'll make a little advancement, and then he'll show you the next step. And then you may hang around for a while. (laughs) You're afraid, you know. But if you keep persisting, you'll, okay, I'll do that step. And then you discover that each time you take a step you become happier. And even though it was maybe a little hard to do, if you felt your life was better. And you keep going. So on the path of Krishna consciousness, you know, there may be here, and some of us may be here, some of us may be here, some of us may be here, some of. Us, that's not the main thing. The main thing, are we going forward or not? That's what counts. that wherever we are, we are sincerely trying to become better. And so then that's digestible. Then you can do it. From wherever you are, you can at least take the next step. You may look at the whole thing and think, Ah! <laughs> you know, that's, that may, I can understand. I did the same thing. Ah! <laughs> but if you just do that, and you'll be progressing. You'll be, you'll be doing something. Maybe you could... Any devotee thinks, once... You make a little advancement in Krishna conscious thinking, my God, I could have done this fifteen years ago if I'd just been smart, you know. But that's okay, you know, just keep, don't regret. Just keep going forward. Even Srila Prabhupada, you know, he, he talks like that about himself sometimes. He, he said, you know, that, that when I was a young man, when Srila when, when, when Prabhupada first met his spiritual master on the very first occasion, he gave, he says, you, you, you're educated in English, You should preach this message in English. Preach the message in English message of Krishna consciousness in English meant go to the West. So Prabhupada heard it when he was in his twenties. But he was married. He had a wife, he had a family, he had very good material prospects. His marriage was arranged because he you know as done in India on the basis of it's mainly a financial arrangement that he had these material prospects but then he, but then, he, you know, he at least he kept with his Krishna consciousness, then at a certain point he became initiated and he, he gave up a little bit of material prospects. He, he was slated to become the, the, the owner of the, this uh, uh, Bose, his, his pharmaceutical company. He had no sons and Prabhupada was going to get the whole company. Because he was his next guy and next guy down. And he saw that if he took that position he wouldn't have time for any Krishna consciousness. So he took a lower position. And then his wife and her whole family became his enemy. And he had a very, his life, you know, it became a little harder. Just because, he still took care of his family. He still did a pharmaceutical business, you know, had a, had a pharmacy and distributed in a certain area, but just a part of the, what he could have had. Uh, uh, but he did that for some time because he had those obligations, and he was an initiated devotee, but a householder outside. Uh, uh, and, and then finally, you know, when his spiritual ma- he wrote a letter to his spiritual master uh, just a month before Bhakti sit on left and said, he said, "I'm a householder. I cannot do." Mo-. Actually, he was taking care. He's practically running the whole Bombay temple. But the temples were all sannyasis and, and brahmacharis at that time. And so Prabhupada was married, he was living outside, but he was managing the whole Bombay temple. Uh, but, but, but he said, he, and he wrote to his spiritual master, this was 1936 or 1935, uh, and he, and he, and he, uh, yeah, 1936. He said, You know, my godbrothers who are sannyasis and brahmacharis, they're doing so much to serve you. What can I do? Is there anything I can do? And he got a letter back from him just like two weeks before he died, and he said, "You, you, 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 you will. Uh, you should push on this movement in the English language. If you do that, it will help you and everybody who helps you." And he was shocked because that order to preach in English was already given to his big sannyasi. Followers, sannyasi means you can go anywhere and preach. That was why Bhakti Sadanta had all these sannyasis, and some had already gone to the west and had been a little disappointed in the results of what they did. And so he was here. He was a householder. So Prabhupada said, "I got this letter, and I couldn't imagine how I could do this or that or the other thing, because then he then he left. Now he was, that was the last instruction." But then he started, you know, in 1944, he started writing Back to Godhead magazine. Meanwhile, his his spiritual master's institution broke up and split into factions, you know, who was going to be the next in charge and all that stuff. so, He was a little disappointed to see that that effort crash. So then finally Prabhupada started this magazine in 1944, and finally in 1965, he did it. well, he took sannyas in the, in the 50's and then, you know, in 65 he came in America. At the right time, by the way. I mean, if he'd come 10 years earlier, nothing would happen. But in the right time, because Krishna's in charge of timing. So and then, you know, he had 12 years and did so much. But he used to say, my spiritual master told me when I was a young man to preach in English. But I couldn't do anything until my old age because I was too much attached to family life this is the way he saw it this is the way he saw it himself because a devotee the one thing is as if you advance in Krishna consciousness if you make any advancement you become hum- humble and it only seems like because humility is just realism and if you get your false ego out of the way then Krishna is free to use you but if you're proud and think I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that then you're on your own, kind of. So Prabhupada, his natural expression was just his humility. I couldn't do anything until this old age. And I came here to help my, serve my spiritual master. He was 70 years old, can you imagine, when he arrived in America? All by himself, no money, no institutional support. When the, when the Gaudiya Amat sent preachers to England in 1933, the whole mission was behind them, and there was money. The Maharaj of Tripura was going to give a big donation to build a temple in, 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 in London, you know. And so, but this time Prabhupada was on his own. And he said, I came here, I couldn't do much, but then cre- my spiritual master sent you American boys and girls, and now you're helping me, now I've done something to satisfy my spiritual master's life to thank you. That was how he felt. That was how he felt. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, just take the next step. You do the next, and that's what Prabhupada did. He just took the next step, the next step, the next step. Uh, and he felt bad, you know, that I waited till I was seventy years old to do this. But I, Krishna's in charge of timing. He was just keeping him on ice until the right time to come. You know, I mean, look, when 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 sent missionaries to England, it was nineteen thirty-three. You know what else happened in 1933? If you're in Germans, you would all know. That was the year that that Hitler became Chancellor, and by the end of that year, he was uh, the Reichstag had given him dictatorial powers. All hell was, you know, going to break loose. So you know, a big bad karma was going to come down on the West uh, for quite some time, and it would have been impossible to do much of anything. So. Uh, Prabhupāda came at the right time, you know. People had time to recover a little bit from all that, what happened. That big karmic debt had to be, you know, thirty-some million people had to die or whatever it was, you know. And then, then, then the people were ripe. And even if Prabhupāda came to America in 1955, it would never have happened. But 65? Yeah. That was the right time, so. Yeah, Krishna's in charge. So anyway, it may seem it takes a long time, but all we're, we we can do and need to do and what's in our power to do is the next step. If we are willing to take the next step, even if it looks at this goal, Krishna will help us. So I, I know, I'm very familiar with material desires and material attachments, and I'm full of them anyway, but I, I can, you know, I, I've gone enough that I can see. It's the truth, that's for sure. I have absolutely no doubt. When the the day I discovered I was absolutely convinced about Krishna consciousness, I got really worried. How can you be sure about anything? (laughs) I said, am I really justified in having this complete faith? I mean, I just was absolutely convinced about Krishna consciousness. It wasn't that it was probably true, I just was absolutely convinced. I didn't know what to make of it, because I, I didn't think I was entitled to be so convinced. <laughs> and uh, I, actually, at that time, I had a, a disciple, who now passed away. Um, she, uh, when I met her, she came to the she was older than me, and she came to the temple because her daughter was coming and wanted to see what her daughter was getting involved with. And, and she had a PhD in philosophy from, from Bryn Mawr. And she was a very devout Catholic. And we just started sitting down and talking about religion and and stuff like that, and in result she became a devotee and took initiation from me. But she's a very advanced person. You know, and and she wasn't that she was discontent with her Catholicism or anything like that, but... but, but she she saw that that Krishna consciousness was really more advanced, and she did wasn't giving up anything that she had learned in her Krishna devotion. Was going further, and she spent the last part of her life living in Vrindavan and, and and you know she left her body with devotees surrounding and chanting Hare Krishna, just as is supposed to happen in the book. So, I I when I when I had this this conviction, I went to her. She was in Vrindavan at the time. I said, you know, what do you think about this? I said, I'm completely convinced about Krishna Consciousness, and I don't know how I have a right to be so convinced." And she said to me, it's a gift. (laughs) So I said, yeah, I guess it's true, I accept it, you know. Now I understand a little bit more how it happened, actually. I mean, it's actually super soul. Because once you have a certain amount of very preliminary experience of Krishna Consciousness, once it happens, you can't doubt it. Because now you're just dealing with a reality. And I can no more doubt the uh, existence of Krishna Consciousness than I doubt, can doubt my own existence. Can you doubt your own existence? No, this was proven by Rene Descartes, you know? <laughs> I think, therefore I am. I mean, I, I, I can doubt everything, but I can't doubt that I'm doubting. Because <laughs> who would be doing that, you know? So you can't doubt your own existence. And knowing God is somewhat the same about, like knowing yourself. It's just an extension of that. It's self-knowledge taken to the Paramatma level. And it's, so it's there. That's, I can understand it philosophically now, how that happens. And it's just—and it's not super advanced, actually. But it will happen in a, 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 a certain way. And it is a gift. It's true.
5: Yeah? When uh, I went out to school, there was a guest and he went out because... It was a bit too much for him. It's the first time he came. Oh, so he's outside, and I went out. He asked me questions, and um, when he realized that uh, you and me were Prophet's disciples, he couldn't believe it.
1: He
3: said, uh,
5: for him, it was like um, something quite important to see that there are actually people in this room who are Prabhupada's direct disciples. Magister,
0: uh, there's how many? Four of us? Yeah, um, Three yeah, of us? Well, Three, well, four, yeah. two? Oh,
5: yeah.
0: no. Three, three, anyway. God. Who? Yeah. So, anyways,
5: so then, and then he asked me, "How did I become a devotee, and how did it happen that we actually got initiated by Sri And uh, I told him that actually, just uh, about one or two years ago. I got confronted with the same question myself. Mm-hmm. Forty years ago I did not understand a thing about Krishna sure. consciousness. I had no idea what I was getting myself into.
1: Yeah, of course. Okay.
5: What made it this young girl who had no idea about anything actually meet Prabhupada and take initiation such a heavy mm-hmm. decision that you make there? And you don't even know why and what the consequences are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this is also something like you said again we are ignorant really we don't know you know what the the the, the implications are of this what happens when Yeah it is no away. you don't you know? But
0: life's like that you know it's so funny like when you're young and stupid you have to make the most important decisions who will I get married to <laughs> what, what what career will I take up all those things you know you have to do when you're young you know yeah.
6: Then you have no idea what
0: you're doing, no matter (laughs) what it is, you know. I mean, in a better society, you would really have good guides who could actually point you in the right direction, but that doesn't happen anymore, you know. you sort of, you just bumble into something or another, and if you're lucky or fortunate or have good karma, you (laughs) you get the right thing. But yeah, no deal, yeah. I had no idea where it was going to end up. And uh, I mean... it freaks people out, you know. Look, look, look at I me. Mean, my parents, you know, when I when I became a devotee, my father was a career officer in the United States Army, and the colonel and his lady were like so freaked out at what their oldest son had done, that I was, you know, had gone to college and went to an Ivy League school and had this big career, and all of a sudden I become like Hari Krishna. <laughs> you know, they could not believe it. So I guess that's it. that always happens, you know. Nobody can believe it. I didn't believe it myself. I, to this day I'm astonished. But anyway. So that means should
2: we wait for this gift or is it available already?
0: It's available, that's the thing. A gift is available. What you have to do, you have to take it. Just put your hands out like this and take it. But sometimes the gift is available and we're going. <laughs> you know, like that. <laughs> For that, we have to cancel our
2: contracts, job contracts, and. <laughs> <laughs> contract, yeah.
0: That's just some faith, you know. But actually, everything you do is faith, you know. But you go to college, you get a job, you get married, it's all, you don't know what the hell's going to happen. And you're always surprised, whatever it is.
2: <laughs> but I heard it becomes more and more difficult when you decide to uh, take up Krishna consciousness because uh, it's a direct war against the Maya.
0: Yeah, there's more against Maya. And, you know, Maya's job is to make sure you're serious. Yeah. You know, but at least you, whatever you do, it's going to be a war. Whatever you do, there's going to be <coughs> obstacles and difficulty. And if you're, going to, if you're going to fight, you might as well fight for something worthwhile. Why struggle all your life to make a lot of money? That's a war too. You know, you got other people that want the money that you want. You want to compete. You know, you want to be successful anywhere. It's a you got to struggle like anything. And in the end, what have you got to show for it? A little mental satisfaction. Oh, I was a success. Boom, you are dead. That's it. Nothing. It's so much work, so much effort. You could have achieved something permanent. Instead all you got is a few cheap thrills and maybe a you know, a couple of plaques on the wall, you know? And a nice obituary in the newspaper. <laughs> is it worth it? <laughs> okay, we better stop now, huh? Thank you very much. She died. Jai.
6: Jai.